people living with HIV are disproportionately affected by things like systemic racism. And that is definitely bleeding over into the, what we know about people who are getting infected with COVID. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the January 8th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today our learning objectives are identify epidemiological risk factors for COVID-19 acquisition, describe at least three strategies to help people living with HIV reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission, and describe changes to the longitudinal care of people living with HIV. With us today, we have Justin Alves, a program director for eHIV Review, and a nurse educator at an office-based addiction treatment training and technical assistance program at Boston Medical Center. Justin, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Faith. I'm really sort of excited to be able to talk about HIV and COVID and how they sort of work together. So I've been an HIV nurse for a long time. And I think we often think about folks living with HIV always having worse outcomes than everyone else. And I think this is one of the few times that the data so far is actually saying they kind of have as equally bad outcomes as everyone else. And so that's kind of exciting for me because it means we've gotten to a point in HIV treatment where folks really are doing well on their medicines. And so I wanna pay attention to the fact that when we're talking about people living with HIV engaged in care, epidemiological risk seems to be a bigger indicator of people both getting sick and actually dying from the disease. And so things like age, structural racism, things like preexisting medical comorbidities, those seem to be driving the morbidity and mortality among people living with HIV, not necessarily the fact that they have HIV. And so as we sort of move along, one of the things that I wanna specifically talk about is elevated risk related to age. And what we know is the population of people living with HIV has slowly started to age, right? Which is a good thing. We want people to be alive. And we know right now we have a greater proportion of people living with HIV who are over the age of 50 than we had many years ago. And so when we look at that proportion of people living over the age of 50, and we look at who has COVID, we know about 30% or so of folks who get diagnosed with COVID are over the age of 50, right? So now let's, let's push that to the next sort of endpoint: who is dying from COVID. And we know disproportionately the folks dying from COVID are over the age of 50. And so as we've seen this sort of shift of people living with HIV, sort of getting to those ripe golden years, we're also seeing that they are having an equal amount of risk related to their age as the rest of the general population. When we talk about elevated risk secondary to systemic racism, there's obviously certain groups who are more affected than others. 
This graph here is looking at the number of people living with HIV who are really affected by systemic racism, right? So if you look at the number of people living with HIV who identify as Black, Hispanic, Latin, these are all greater proportions of people than those who might be white, right? And now when we take that, we look at the number of people who are receiving Ryan White funding, right? You can see again, disproportionately, there are groups of folks living with HIV who are affected by systemic racism. So again, we see here 47.1% of folks receiving Ryan White funding are Black or African-American, right? Now, when we sort of take this to the next level and we think about COVID, this is a graph that really looks at the rate of cases and hospitalizations and death based on those people who are affected by systemic racism and institutional racism. And so what you can see here is that indigenous folks and black folks are disproportionately affected compared to their white colleagues. And this is again, what we saw in terms of the number of people living with HIV, right? People living with HIV are disproportionately affected by things like systemic racism, and that is definitely bleeding over into the, what we know about people who are getting infected with COVID. Now, what do we do? How do we keep people living with HIV safe? Well, we keep them safe in the same way we keep everybody else safe, right? We want to practice good social distancing. We want to wear a mask. We want folks to get their normal preventative healthcare stuff, so their flu shot, their pneumonia vaccines. We want to limit in-person social networks because we don't want to, you know, sort of cause the spread. Now, some specific things that are a little more closely related to folks living with HIV or other chronic diseases, really, right? We want to switch from 30 to 90-day prescriptions if we can, right? If we can limit the number of times you have to go to the pharmacy, all the better. We want to plan for remote clinical care. Do you have a way to actually talk to your provider, right? Do you have an iPad? Is there an iPad somewhere in your community that would be accessible to you and also safe? And we want to expand people's virtual social networks. We know loneliness is a huge factor as people age with HIV, and we want to be able to try and combat that loneliness, especially in the setting of increased social isolation because we're trying to socially distance, right? And so I, we often talk about social distancing, and that is definitely the term that people use. And I, I think we really should push towards physical distancing, right? We want people to be socially interactive with each other, but we need folks to figure out how to do it safely and virtually if possible. Now, how do you sort of get ready for those virtual visits, right? Because we want folks to be able to still see their providers and get good health care, even though they can't necessarily do it in person. And so if we're talking about caring people living with HIV, we need to make sure that our telehealth and telemedicine folks are really good at the triage and assessment skills on the phone. Right? And this means if you have somebody who's not virally suppressed, if you have somebody who is new to care, really honing in on subtle cues that they may need a greater intervention, right? Somebody's short of breath, it's not something we should necessarily let go if we know they have a low CD4 count, right? And then we really do want to consider screening all of our populations for increased substance use, mental health concerns, and intimate partner violence. Right now is a really tough time for everybody. It's really tough to be alone. It's really tough to be inside. And so really trying to identify that these are risk factors for increased substance use, increased mental health concerns, and increases in violence amongst people in a home setting. And so just being attuned to that as a provider so that you can offer those screening tools and possible resources if somebody screens positively. And then if you can strategize ways to cluster in-person care. So can I plan for your lab 
to come in and be done on the same day that you're coming in to pick up your prescription. You're going to come in, what is the biggest bang for our buck that we can do to make sure that you're getting everything done you need in one sort of fell swoop to limit the amount of time that you are exposed in the community. Thank you very much, Justin. We are now going to move to our listener Q&A. To submit your own questions, please email qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer at dkbmed.com. Justin, our first learner question is, what age and demographic groups of patients living with HIV are at an elevated risk for morbidity and mortality related to COVID-19? Yeah, and so I think really and truly the groups that we're talking about are older folks, um, and folks who are from a community that may be highly impacted by things like structural and systemic racism, right? And so these are a lot of our patients that we've known for many, many years um, who've been disproportionately affected by HIV already. And so if we can just sort of hone in and make sure that those, the elders among us and those who have already sort of suffered a lot of the brunt of the systemic racism um, really have a good handle on the the preventative measures for COVID, that, then we're going to be in a good place. Okay, thank you very much. And finally, our next learner question is, can the interval for some screening tests be made longer to reduce trips to lab or the clinic? I think this is really highly dependent. I think it depends, right? I think if you have a patient who is super rock solid stable and has been for a long time, I think you can definitely make the case that we can extend lab visits between between when you're actually talking to the provider on the phone with your televisit, right? We've seen this with PrEP, right? And so people who are in pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, we know that we're sort of increasing some of the intervals for their testing in order to make sure that they're still getting their medication um, in the setting of the pandemic. And so I think the same can be true for HIV, um, though I will say if patients really do have a lot of medical comorbidities or a lot of risk factors that would make me more concerned about their, their lab screening, I would still try and make the case to get those labs done, but maybe in a more creative way. So we've done a couple at-home lab draws. And so actually sending a provider to the patient's house rather than bringing the patient into the clinic might be one way to try and sort of mitigate some of those risk factors. Justin, thank you so much for those updates today. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Justin, I want to thank you again for that really valuable information. Thanks for having me.